1: Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society can still be a little dismissive of. My name is Caroline O'Donohue and I'm America's next top best friend. Joining me is the girl we're all rooting
2: for, Judah Dawson.
1: Hi. We were rooting for you. We, we were, were all, all
2: rooting, rooting, for, rooting you. for you. I have never in my life spoken to a girl like this. When my mother yells at me like this, it's because she loves me. Learn something from this. <laughs> Well, I think we're done. <laughs> we are done.
1: <laughs> um this has been sentimental garbage. Um so Juno, hi. I, I just want to pre- preface all of this yeah. with, you know, I I've I've re- reached out to sort of as you do as a podcaster, so many different people who I admire and respect and have recorded with before to talk about the culture that they uh, you know, feel is very formative to their experience and doesn't get talked about enough or it doesn't get praised enough or it doesn't get its, it's enough critical consensus. And almost everyone has come back with something I'm already obsessed with, but no one more so than you. Thanks. This this show takes up so much space in my brain. I feel like when I close my eyes at night, all I see is a spider crawling on Ava Pigford's face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those things which it's so... In my life, now that I've actually forgotten that I'm quoting America's Next Top Model, I just think, I honestly think this is my life, that I walk through a party going, hi, fabulous, and that that's really normal. Kind of like, oh, she's such a drag queen. I hear that in my head. I hear Jay Manuel in my head constantly.
1: It's, it's so weird because, like, obviously, America's Next Top Model was a really formative reality TV show. And it really came at the beginning of the structured reality show, mm. Boom. And if I think back on that era, you know, I, I was, you know, a teenager or a preteen during all this era of Project Runway and X Factor and all these different shows that were about showcasing different talented people and whittling them down to a certain number and then judging them. Um, So few of them have left the same impact as Top Model in terms of, other shows aping it, but also just in terms of like these quotes are still in the consent, the, the sort of the mix, really, aren't they? Like, you can't go on Twitter without seeing that we were all rooting for you, GIF. Like, mm-hmm. why has it been so sticky when other things, I don't remember a single frame
2: of X Factor
1: and I watched just as many episodes.
2: Mm. And it's weird as well because I will say, and I talk about things which have been forgotten by history, is ANTM was not the first, which is we had a British one called Model Behaviour, which I think I know primarily because I'm friends with Joe Elvin, and Joe Elvin was one of the judges. So, like, three years before America's Next Top Model, there was a British pop idol style wow. show where, where they were searching for for models and it, it was um Joe Elvin and Dylan Jones not my Dylan Jones Dylan Jones from GQ um were, were searching for models so and the cheeky girls notably the cheeky girls lined up for model behavior at the same time they were queuing up for pop stars the rivals so yeah it was an urban oh casting God. call for models and then they stuck a girl on the front of well, I'm guessing it was Glamour. If it was Joe Alvin, I'm guessing guessing they put her on the front of Glamour magazine, and so there was a reality show around models in this country that predates Top models. So, so I think you know we have to assume that Tyra. Well, it's hard to say because it's so Tyra, isn't it? In that she she. Says that she conceived it And it was her notion And that it was You know what she wanted to do With the next stage in her career Given that her Her own modelling career Was kind of You know she was 30 So obviously she was You know in heading towards retirement um, But she I think So I wonder if it's the Tyra That that's why It kind of lasted For as long as it did And why it's still so memorable Because Tyra put so much of herself into it Although Like it's spiritual child RuPaul's Drag Race Mm. I think it's about the contestants and I think while don't get me wrong there are some incredible Tyra moments that I'm sure we will talk about it is the contestants that have stayed with me the longest I think
1: I really I I, I really know what you're saying and like obviously Tyra's presence is so it's such a key ingredient isn't it and they've replaced her since haven't they but it's never really worked or had that same cachet because i think she's just someone who taking this industry that takes itself so seriously and tyra does take herself seriously Mm. but there's also a zaniness and a goofiness to america's next top model that seemed to really have fun with the whole notion of snobbery in the fashion industry and it felt really tongue-in-cheek and it felt very gay
2: Oh, 100%. And I think you can compare it too for like a weird cross-cultural comparison would be to check out old episodes of Australia's Next Top Model, which took itself really seriously. And actually was kind of based in the actual world of fashion, which is they they genuinely set themselves the task to find real working models, which I don't know if America's Next to Model really cared about the longevity of the girls' careers. But, you know, um, Australia's, you know... It's like the Hunger Games, literally the Hunger Games, yeah. which is they're telling girls they're too big and they're telling them to diet constantly, they're saying you're too big to ever be a model, which are things which we know are true about the fashion industry. And that's not what America's next top model was about. It wasn't really interested in, in creating working fashion models. Um and thank goodness, because it would have made for quite upsetting television. Australia's next top model was quite disturbing in places.
1: I agree. I Yeah, there obviously was some of that body stuff that happened mm. on America's Next Top Model and it it could be really disturbing, but it, I don't know, there was always a kind of a campness to it. Like two body moments I always remember from that show was there was one girl, her name was Britta, and she was Lithuanian and she was this, you can see you nodding, you're like, I know
2: Britta. Oh, I know. Yes. Well, season four, yep.
1: Season four, cycle four. Cycle four. <laughs> <laughs> um... um and I remember, and this, th- I think that might have been the first sh- um, season I watched live. Obviously, they all got repeated a lot mm-hmm. or oh, every kind of weekend on Living TV. And like that was very much my formative hangovers as a teenager when I started drinking and started going out. It was like being in somebody's bed the next morning, all, all of us watching a marathon of an old season of ANTM. But cycle four was the first season i ever watched as it was airing and i remember seeing britta and being like oh the most beautiful girl who ever lived and she's you know they call her a victoria secret model she's got this beautiful blonde hair she's got she's everything you've ever been taught your entire life from barbie onwards what beauty is and then you get nolay marin it's <gasps> like the step the stout little guy with a dog in a suit going like, like penfold. she look- yeah, and, and he just says she looks like a side of beef, <laughs> and oh. and and like she's then 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 she gets axed like basically week one mm. because she looks too commercial, she's too pretty, and she's not thin enough. And for me as a fourteen year old, I want to say, and I think people want are expecting me to say, and that taught me how much the world hates women's bodies. But what I actually thought was oh my God, if girls like her can get booted and comparatively awkward, gawky looking girls can get in, that must mean that beauty is kind of a lie and that there's space for, not everybody, but as a lanky, gawky teen myself, I was like, maybe I could win, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And that's what it did, I think. What it did for teenagers, the lanky, gawky, weird teens were like maybe there's a place
2: well that was i mean my we've we've talked about who are our faves you know one of my absolute faves definitely top five is is shandy sullivan from cycle two who was the archetype they literally i mean i don't know if they paid her but she was the ugly duckling so she was tall and thin she had glasses and You know At makeover week They dyed her blonde And they bleached her teeth And and everybody gasped And it was like Shandy You're beautiful It was like She's all that Like she took off her glasses And Yes
1: Yeah And and so much of it So much of getting you Getting that audience in In the early weeks Was that fantasy That all teens have Right Like Mm. That's why those She's all that movies Always work And I do think that Most of the early audience For this were teens Of course And uh of just being like, oh, I like if I was just entrusted with a team of stylists, I could be a supermodel, and then everybody would, uh, everybody would see, everyone would know. But I almost think as well what this show—it almost didn't know what it had because, you know, if you think about the conception of the show, they're like, okay, we're going to get these young girls, we're going to make them compete for a modeling contract, and then they'll, they'll also be a house where they live in, and we'll see what they get up to, and there'll be drama and there'll be antics. But what I feel like they almost didn't realize what they were doing was a kind of incredible social experiment, right? Because if you think of all these girls, they're between the age of 18 and 23 most often. This is, for most of them, the first time they've lived away from home. They come from all these backgrounds, like from like Southern Republican to like people living in projects to people living in big cities to like all kinds of backgrounds and so when you're that age and you're being let into the world for the first time you really are a distillation of every value and you know belief that has been put onto you by your community or your family and then you get those girls who all want the same thing in a house together It's just the most explosive, riveting thing ever. And also they're not sleeping and they're getting really ill because Uh they're all really overworked and undernourished. And just everything is up to 11. And it feels almost like like a weird social experiment where everyone
2: just happens to be really hot. (laughs) But then the the strange thing about the show is, and it's a bit like The Apprentice as well, which is it doesn't let it breathe. So it doesn't trust its own experiment and rather than just having these girls talk to each other and learn things you know we need to send you to a bridge and you need to walk over the bridge in a straight line and if you fall off the bridge there are crocodiles below you know some sort of nonsense and so they're constantly doing all those nonsense challenges and then you compare that to now something like Real Housewives or Love Island where everything is just let's just leave them to chat and I think it's really interesting <laughs> now that the girls and later the boys as well, were never just really left to chill. Like, I would have quite happily just watched a version of Next Top Model where it was them backstage falling out and forming alliances, whereas it was more very, I mean, gosh, talk about a formula. Every single episode of America's Next Top Model is the same. There is a very simple formula kind of... Who will, who left last time? Let's deal with the fallout. Then a girl will mention her home life. Now, if a girl <laughs> mentions her home life, spoiler, don't get too attached to that girl because she's not going to be in next week. And then they set them on some like mini challenge where they have to run around a Sephora putting on makeup at intervals. And then the one that looks nicest gets a video message from Queen Latifah. Then they go to a photo shoot where there will be dramas around the photo shoot. And then one of them will will think they've done really badly. Spoiler alert, she's going to get picture of the week. And then you go to judging and you meet Tyra. And then that girl who mentioned the fact she lived in a trailer right at the beginning of the episode, she, she's going because otherwise she wouldn't have mentioned her childhood. And that was every single episode for 24 mm. seasons.
1: <laughs> yeah, or any girl who... um admits to missing her baby
2: (laughs) do yeah if you see the picture of her you know you know i don't really like to talk about my child (laughs) oh no oh Oh, she's going she's She's had it oh
1: god noelle i was rooting for you and then you brought up your goddamn baby and you're dead
2: it's it's time it's time just you know i just want a better life for my mum. i want to get us out of the trailer I mean, sometimes that works. Sometimes that girl wins. But um, but yeah, more often than not, if they mention their home life, it's game over. And I, in the end, I was when I was watching it with my friend, we got so good at predicting the girl who was going to go within the first three minutes that it was just kind of like, this is like Novocaine for our brain. It kind of, it's, or maybe we've just watched way too much of it. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe with each cycle like a new a new group of 12 year old girls was sitting down to watch it for the first time and it all felt shiny and new but
1: yeah and it's so interesting what you said a minute ago about how it not trusting the value of its own experiment because when i think of all the iconic moments they're like yes, they are. There, I, I think there should be some real props for the creative direction of those shoots because some of them are genuinely incredible. Mm-hmm. And some of those photographs that I look at now, I'm like, that's still a oh, stunning geez. photograph. And like, if the art direction is incredible, like, I, I, I'd I'd love to watch it with somebody who does graphic design or art direction and get their actual take on it. But. The no matter how hard the uh, shoot is to go through, or how uncomfortable the girls are, they have to like pose with a shark or something or a spider. Like it's not that interesting to watch a girl freak out at a spider. What is interesting is watch a watching a girl freak out because somebody else has taken two cereal bars from her box, and so in retaliation she's gonna pour all of her Red Bulls down the sink. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Like, that yes. was good. All the best moments: Shandy sleeping with a male model in a jacuzzi. Like these are these are the moments that we remember, not oh so much the winners or the losers. Um, yeah, I wish I wish it had been just so pure. I guess. And um, I mean, there were some spectacular fights as well. I think there was that sort of period, sort of late noughties period, where where feuding girls. Was kind of very much the thing, and like Gossip Girl was doing really well as well for the same network as well. There was that girl, Bianca, screaming at some other girl. I think there was the autistic girl, Heather, and they were just screaming at each other. And now, I think we've moved away from that somewhat. I think you know, teenage girls now are way more clued up and are happy to have conversations about feminism and kind of want to see girls working together, which I think is the difference between like Riverdale and Gossip Girl, where in Riverdale, Betty and Veronica almost always work together as a solid female unit. Whereas 10 years before that, it was way more normal, I think, to see girls tearing chunks out of each other. And so I think tonally we've moved on a bit, Um, but those were the best bits of... America's Next Top Model, the mad bits, the really, really mad bits.
1: The mad bits, yeah, the, just the the deranged, barely teenagers just absolutely going for each other. One of the fights that always sticks in my head, it's such, it melts my brain that this was actually a piece of television that I saw with my own eyes. They go to South Africa so basically, every every final four or every mm-hmm. final five, they go on an international trip. And it's generally some um, fashion world city or an emerging fashion city when they run out of the big four. And um, uh, they go to South Africa and they try and... God love them. They do try and, like, showcase the culture and the history of wherever they go for, like, three and a half minutes. <laughs> and... The girls go to Nelson Mandela's cell. <laughs> um. And so we're down to... I think we're down to four girls at this point. One of the girls is black, one is mixed race, and the other two are white. And the the tour guide, who just seems like any old tour guide, is like, oh, you know, which one of you would like to hold... The- you can tell this is a part of the tour. Which one of you would like to hold the key and unlock the door? And um, and the mixed-race girl, Naima, who ends up winning that series and who's one of my favourite contestants of all time, takes it. And then the other girl's a bit upset that she get, didn't get to do it. But then <laughs> this other girl, Brittany, is like, has some serious doubts as to whether everyone even knows who Nelson Mandela is. <laughs> <laughs> um. And they just start screaming at each other in this in crazy, like, girl, wild girl, Girls' Night Out sort of... Fight, but it's about who got to open Nelson Mandela's cell. And it's the w- weird mixing of high and low culture that's just boggling to watch.
2: And of course, they've had to explain to the teenage American audience who Nelson Mandela is. So you know, one of them was given a straight camera bit about, so Nelson Mandela was this really important person. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, the, the, oh, I mean, some of, some of the fashion capitals they went to were less, less, <laughs> less fashion. Less. I think in late seasons they're were like, "We're going to Indonesia," and you're like, "Okay, sure." I think one <laughs> right. we go to Macau one year, the the emerging <laughs> fashion capital of Macau. I'm like, okay, sure, why not? I want to talk a bit
1: more about some of the staples of every season, mm-hmm. um, and like cause, as you say, it, it's very formulaic. They do try and chuck a lot of like new ideas when it comes to photo shoots and that kind of thing, and putting them in more and more precarious or uncomfortable situations. But really, a, a bit like Drag Race, every season has a formula. Uh, we begin with a kind of a whittling down process, often from like a twenty-four to twelve. Oh, the which the is mad, very the stressful. mad
2: first episode where. Yeah, there's always, you know, like, we're down to the last 30. And then they'll, they'll show you a couple who who get eliminated. So you at least feel something. And normally, I really like the first episode. Because normally, it looks like it's in, like, an airport hotel. Yes.
0: Like, really
2: crap. In some seasons, they theme it. So there was one where a Mr. and Mrs. J were like meant to be space aliens and were like scamming Earth for model life. But mostly it was just in a Ramada Jarvis, if I'm honest.
1: Yeah. It looked like a, like a Marriott. Mm-hmm.
2: Like- I think it literally <laughs> was always- a Marriott.
1: Just it, w- it would always be like a little bit grainier, and it's it's very smart producing because it gives you this place to begin from, right? This like just girls wearing Gap jeans sitting on floors, filling out clipboards with water bottles next to them, and and you really do get this sense of like it could be any of these girls, and but also that kind of sense of oh, it could be me, you know. And then we 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 do a kind of an interview process, which some some ex-
2: some. <laughs>
1: iconic reality TV moments go with that interview process. Like, this is one famous one where a girl walks in and they, they they haven't even finished saying, why do you want to be a model? Before she goes, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think this is good for me. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> she just walks out. I've heard, like, mules are clapping off the thing and they're just so loud and it's the most, like, there's some real bizarre stuff. Do you have any standout memories from that part of the show?
2: And um, So I remember... Because another one of my favourite contestants is, is lovely Jasleen Gonzalez, who went on to win oh, season eight. But she was booted at that stage in cycle seven. So she was a returner. And so I will never forget her when she was cha-cha diva and sort of did this frenetic salsa dance in order to wow, wow the panel. And then there was the one girl who mentioned that she doesn't like semen, notably as well, and kept referring to it as semen, which I thought was really wonderful. And, and then, of course, oh, the girl, amazing, the amazing girl who tries to explain how modelling is the same as stripping. And Tyra, very uncomfortably, says, what you're doing is not modelling. I need, I need you to understand that what you're doing is not modelling. Tyra, sex work is work. Come on.
1: Come on. Tyra, one of the most amazing things about Tyra Banks is how her tone is utterly undependable. Like, you have no way of knowing whether she's going to be really amused and charmed or absolutely turned off and ice cold. There's, like,
2: no way of predicting. Scary. I I would feel... I mean, Tyra did once like one of my pictures on Instagram that I tagged her in, but... So I don't want to criticise her, but... (laughs) Because you are friends. But I'm about to. Um, Yeah, no, she's, she's like the weather. You never know which way she blows. Like notably when brave Celia steps forward at judging to say, I think you need to know that Talia expressed that she no longer wants to be here. And then Tyra, rather than being like, "Oh, thank you, Celia, that was that must have been very brave for you to step forward and do that," she was like, "The temperature drops about fifteen degrees," and she's like, "Do you know what I think, Celia? I think it's a shame that you're saying that and not Talia. Talia has said nothing to me, and it's like you can just feel Celia shrinking, and oh, and so, oh no." Oh yeah, and it's so,
1: it's so, I can, see the poor Celia, because so much of the show has, um, really fosters this thing of like, who wants to be here? And it's like this weird, like, non-question that anyone who's experiencing any doubt or any hardship, or is like, missing their family, as we said before, or just struggling with something, it's like, well, does she really want to be here? And it makes this whole concept of wanting to be present utter, like, there's like this, it's one of those things where it's a bit like when saying to someone like, oh, stop showing off. There's literally nothing that you can say that will convince them or the room that you're in that you're not showing off. You know, it's just like, it's this this, this wall that's impossible to rally against and it drives these girls crazy. And they're like, I, I do want to be here. It, it, like, it's, it, it turns the idea of wanting to compete into this utterly abstract process.
2: The flip side of that as well is the girls who want it too much which oh, is just yeah. as much a sin. Like, yeah, I, I feel you just don't want this. But if you need to relax, you want this too much. And the obvious one there was was Renee. Um, hard-faced Renee from Honolulu in season eight, who really, <laughs> really wanted to be to be a winner. And now is in jail and went to jail, I think, for quite a long time and is now on meth, I think. Oh, no. Yeah, not, nothing good. Yeah, Renee is one of those sad stories that has, since her season, things got progressively worse and worse.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's really interesting when you,
1: you know, contextualize this show as it being, you know, an early reality show and... What's interesting is that I think it existed in a time where reality TV was new enough and, like, you know, people would go on different shows and then never really be heard from again because there wasn't a showbiz infrastructure to support that kind of career. Mm. Now, obviously, there is because we have social media. There are agents that specialize just in, you know, supporting reality talent, like people from Love Island have immediate sort of boohoo partnerships. But back then in the early noughties, someone went on a reality show and they could. Part of them could be like, I want to be famous. But I would say for the vast majority of entrants, they were doing it for a bit of a laugh and because they had nothing really to lose. Mm -hmm. And especially in those early seasons, didn't really expect anything to come of it other than like a unique experience, a few weeks of fame and then, you know, maybe a modelling opportunity.
2: It's a funny one because, yeah, what... Did they? What were they looking for? Because very early on we established that these winners were not going to be the next Kate Moss. Yeah. Of course, it has since transpired. And again, now we are so much savvier as to the inner workings of how reality shows work. A lot of these girls were scouted. A lot of these girls had mm. previously been with modelling agencies that had some modelling experience in the same way that producers slide into the DMs of personal trainers to get them to go on Love Island. You know, it's not very few contestants on Love Island have actually applied to go on Love Island. Um, And so we know that girls were scouted for America's Next Top Model. It wasn't entirely democratic. But you do sort of wonder what they thought might happen. I think in 24 seasons... Of America's Next Top Model, there have been, I will be generous, I will say three girls who've gone on to have what I would consider a proper full-time modelling career, which were um, um, Kyra Coleman, who won the final season, the, the last one said, she she's still working. There was a very successful girl called Layla Goldcool, who was I think Cycle 19, who then went on to like a Calvin Klein model and has done... Funnily enough, you will not get her to talk about America's Next Top Model now. It's something kind of that needs to be buried. Kind of, you know, the fact that she did Top Model was actually quite shameful. And then, of course, Winnie Harlow, who who competed under a different name. She competed as Chantel. Um, and now, obviously, Winnie Harlow is enormous. But like Layla, Winnie had to change her name... And put America's Next Top Model very much behind her, in order to be a success.
1: That's so interesting because, you're. Uh, I mean, when I'm talking about my America's Next Top Model knowledge, I think it ends at around cycle ten. That is why You clearly have been. You've been.
2: <laughs> I should. That's there. when I should have quit. That's when I should have given up. Um, because after that, what I will say is, if it's like a normal person, you stopped watching after about cycle ten, um. It descended into mad gimmicks, but a different kind of mad to the mad that it was before. Like when we talk about Jade's Covergirl commercial, which is obviously hysterical. You oh, couldn't give us give us an intro to Jade. So CoverGirls Jade's Girl. Covergirl. So this was Jade, who an icon of top model Cycle Six genuinely believed she was the world's undiscovered supermodel, which is her own words to describe herself. So, you know, I am Naomi Campbell. It's just I haven't been spotted yet. But it's fine, because here I am on America's Next Model. You have found me. I'm here. And so her general attitude was... I don't really understand why I have to compete with these other girls when I'm so superior to the rest of them. It's mind-blowing to me that I have to go through these strange trials. And so her general her general arrogance was kind of her plot line. And then they came to do a cover girl commercial where they had to walk through a pool party and then deliver lines to camera promoting some cover girl dream moose foundation or something. So simple. <laughs> and Jade sort of walks through, she sort of stomps through like, like Darth Vader and then gets to the camera and delivers the line. And Jay is like, you're meant to be a party. You know, it's meant to be fun. And so she goes back and kind of waltzes through the party like some sort of like drunk drunk performance art making up lines like hi fabulous and then <laughs> she and then, says fabulous. Hi, fabulous fabulous and then arrives at the camera clearly goes blank because she's been focusing on saying hi fabulous and just goes fuck and then and, and Jay goes well that's not what cover girls say um um so it it, it works on every level it's just it, it delivers everything and then the fuck is the punchline it's so amazing um and it feels like you couldn't script that because you couldn't script someone like Jade. It just, mm. you know, as people got more and more smart the way reality TV works, you just wouldn't get someone being like that, I don't think. Whereas in the later seasons, it just became really gimmick on top of gimmick on top of gimmick. So there was the short girls season, where it was all girls <laughs> under, under five foot seven because Tyra decided, you know, enough of this madness with tall girls. But then, of course, the twist there was the winner of that cycle was actually taller than Eva Pigford. So it was (laughs) neither here nor there. Um, And then then they tried to bring in social media. So with the rise of social media, there was a couple of seasons where you would vote for your favourites online, kind of, and... Oh, yeah, it just became really, really naff. Just... And I don't know why I carried on putting my... I mean, I even watched the series that was hosted by Rita Ora. I mean, which was the television equivalent of self-harm or something. Just what was I doing? (laughs) Famous supermodel, Rita Ora. That well-known... I mean, she's a jack-of-all-trades. I mean, somebody once said to me... She's
1: hosted everything! Yeah,
2: that you just... Some one of my friends just said, "Don't fight Rita Aura. Just let it be. Stop
1: trying. That's such good advice. Stop
2: trying to fight Rita Aura. She is whether whether she's randomly in Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Just why is she in Fifty Shades of Grey? I don't know. Why is she dating Taika Waititi? It doesn't matter. She is. She's
1: in." she's in the Pokemon movie for five seconds as a scientist just wearing a lab coat carrying a a clipboard and then she just wanders off it's mad
2: don't fight it don't fight fight it it. just let let it happen let Rita Aura happen to you and once you let it happen it's beautiful
1: (laughs) she is beautiful I don't know why she's become this joke to us let her happen let it
2: it be just
1: say let Let her have her
2: day Mm.
1: wow I'm glad that we had that aside (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So another huge staple that happens earlier on in the season is obviously the makeover episode. <gasps> oh, yes,
2: yes. That, that is my most watched YouTube bits. And hairdressers oh. responding to the makeovers is a whole subgenre of YouTube as well.
1: It's just, it's so exciting. And, and I always, when I... Watching back, I'm always back in my little 14 year old body where that just hoping that like maybe Tyra will see something amazing in me, like bleach my hair and give me a weave. And just the, the, the schadenfreude of watching some of the most beautiful girls in the world crying as their hair is cut off. I feel like my ASMR is watching a beautiful girl being crying <laughs> while someone gathers her hair in a ponytail and then just snips at the mm. base of her neck. Oh. It's so horny.
2: I got chills. I have chills. Oh, that's right up my street, as Cheryl would say, yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and the gag is, the hilarious thing is that if you go right now, if you're listening to this, go on the Models 1 website or go on the Premier Model Management or Select Model Management, all those girls... Are five foot ten Lithuanian girls with long straight sandy blonde hair. Mm-hmm. There are no there are no girls with basket weaves. You're not gonna see some girl with pink hair. You're not gonna see some girl with, with a horse weave with like a mullet. It just doesn't happen. They just want these girls to be blank canvases. That's all anybody wants models to be. So my favorite thing about the makeovers is it's pure circus. Because actually, every single one of those girls just needs long, straight hair. That's all anybody mm, wants. Yeah. You know, even from black girls, we just, ideally, we would like you to have long, straight hair. Could we make this happen, kind of? Um, and no, no. Tyra needs you to have a curly ginger weave. <laughs> of course. Who doesn't?
1: The, the bit that always sticks in my head is there was this girl, this beauty, beauty pageant girl called Tatiana. Um... And I remember so clearly that one of the first things that Tyra ever said to her was, you look kind of like a pug. (laughs) Like she had like this little upturned nose and this sort of scrunched little face. And you kind of know what she's saying. But it's like, this is a girl who's only been told she's beautiful her entire life. And so it's that great thing where like the plain girls get told they're stunning and Mm -hmm. the stunning girls get told they're fucking weird looking. Mm. (laughs) And you're like, they're like, no! Too pageant, too
2: beauty queen. yep,
1: Too pageant, too commercial, too catalogue. It's just, if you're an insecure 14 year old, it's just food for the soul. Um, and then they're like, uh, you know, they're revealing all their plans for everyone. It's like, you get a weave and you get a weave and you get a weave. Tatiana,
2: have you ever seen the movie Rose and <laughs> the Baby? <laughs> no, that was Cassandra, season five. That oh, was Cassandra. Sorry, Cassandra. Cassandra. Sorry, okay, sorry. Because yeah, she is, if you go to top 10 next up model makeovers, she's always going to win. It's always going to be her.
1: It's so funny, and then so they 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 do thing. They gather the the ponytail to the base of the neck. They snip, 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 cut it all off, dye it blonde, and then and, and it's kind of choppy or whatever. And she has this fucking emotional breakdown over losing her hair, and then um, oh, it gets better. She, this is it. There's a it twist, gets the yeah. She goes into the judging room that day, and and <laughs> Tyra just has one of her characteristic changes of mood, and goes, "I specifically asked." For Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) This is not Mia Farrow. I needed shorter. And she has to get it cut again. But she refuses.
2: She refuses to get it cut again. And Jer Manuel sends her home. So for the sake of half a centimetre of hair, that girl having already lost about 24 inches of hair, that's when she takes the stand. No, I will not lose another centimetre from my hair. And off
1: she goes.
2: Off she trots. Off she goes.
1: It's so weird. The sort of like the ethos of top model is so poisonous. It feels like a sort of a prelude to the world that created the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like but so obviously the you know, the baseline entry is you have to be gorgeous and photograph well and be thin and tall. Right. But obviously, that's a lot of girls. So the kind of the real qualifier is are you pliant? Like, are, will you do what we say? Will you allow yourself to be manipulated? Will you be easygoing in the most uncomfortable of situations? Um, And will you have absolutely no limits on your physical or mental health? And only then will you, we reward you. Like, it really created an environment where the girls weren't allowed to say no, to say they were uncomfortable. Like there's bits where, like... There's one I remember... And it was was the season where they went to South Africa When Naima won I know exactly what
2: you are about to say Are you going to talk about Cailin in the grave? Oh I wasn't going to talk about (laughs) Kaylin in the grave But let's talk about Cailin in the grave (laughs) Because I mean yeah well Okay we'll do this one here So Cailin who has just lost a friend I believe to suicide Cailin has lost a friend um, And that through some I mean maybe it didn't happen Maybe it was all scripted But then that week they made Kaylin get in a coffin and act yeah. out the deadly sin of wrath um, while freaking out because, you know, she's just been told that somebody she knows died. And yeah, I mean, the poor girl, she just has to, you know, she she's just told, you know, make it work, you know, turn your pain into sexiness, kind of. <laughs> oh. And and
1: like, and the whole frame of it is like, like when she when the when the photograph comes out, it's like, Kaylin, you really went through something this week and you really pushed through it and like here, you're the best photo of the week, hurrah. Mm-hmm. And also, on that judging panel, there's like um, Janice Dickinson, who's obviously fucking on the hinge, mm-hmm. is like, What happened, babe? Why the long face? She's like, She's like a Caitlyn Jenner impersonator. She's <laughs> such a, like, a boomer just covered in <laughs> surgery. And she's just like, What's going on? Why are you, why are you, everyone pissed off? And Tyra goes, No, Janice, this is serious. And, Let's go.
2: Oh, <laughs> Ooh. what was your one? What was your one? If it wasn't Kaelin in the grave, what was your oh, one?
1: It was that same series where it was um, Kenya who, uh, when they're in South Africa and they're doing this shoot, and the shoot is like, um, like it's supposed to be capturing dancing and movement, and they're working with dancers, and one of the male dancers um, says some really horrible, I think, quite racist things to her. And, I, and it kind of grabs her and it's just really awful to her. And she complains to the photographer and to J-Manuel and everything. And the the response from everyone is just like, you know, in this business, you're going to have to work with people that you don't necessarily like.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: like grow a, a a thicker skin. It's
2: awful. Was that before or after they made her dress as an elephant in the week she had after put some weight on? After she gained like four yeah.
1: pounds. Oh, that girl got it really bad.
2: Kenya deserved better. I think it would be safe safe to say, yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. Not, not ideal. So
1: obviously, the interesting thing about this show is that, you know, obviously you've been a super fan for a long time. I like frequently watch old episodes or whatever. It's not, it's never truly gone away for me. It's always been there. But lately, I would say in the last year or so, it's had this weird like, Resurgence out of nowhere mm-hmm. Where people suddenly Discovering old clips Realising how problematic it, it it was And Suddenly getting Angry as though It happened yesterday yeah. Why do you think that
2: is? I think it's because People who watched it When they were kids Are now Influential on social media And on Things like YouTube So there's like Oliver Twixt yeah. For example Who has like a whole YouTube Instagram thing mm-hmm. Dedicated To going back over to Next Top Model and I think, you know, when so the, one of one of the ones which is constantly called out is the is the race flipping episode where where Tyra comes on and says, you know, like so and so, you're gonna be half Hawaiian, half Japanese, kind of, in, and then they take a white girl yeah. and darken her skin to make her look like she's a mixed race. And so, A, culture has changed and maybe things that you could do on television 15 years ago, you just can't now because it would be considered racially insensitive. Um, Or the things we know post Me Too as well, like Kenya being sexually assaulted on a photo shoot. You know, we've now had several reckonings within the fashion industry with people like Terry Richardson being called out for sexual assault as well. So I just think it's a shift of... It's a, it's an individual shift, which is people who loved top model as kids are now older and can see it for what it is. Mm. Why, why we didn't? <laughs> Even I was kind of an adult. I was like in my early twenties when I was watching top model. I should I should have known. Um, but then I think yeah, just we're having we're having the right conversations around exploitation of in industries, and I think it's always industries where there's always somebody behind you trying to get in, somebody banging on the door. And so that's why whether you are an actor or a musician or a model, or even in my industry of publishing, you know, there are, there's no shortage of people who are desperate to do my job, which is why sometimes you, you come to accept behaviours you shouldn't because you know you could so easily be replaced you know you know there's a gazillion people who want to do your job and and I think that's why for decades models and actors musicians writers have stayed silent to poor behaviour and mistreatment because because we felt indebted or because we felt like if we spoke out we would be hit financially I guess is really what it boils down to
1: I do think that um, there's an odd mentality in the show with Tyra and Tyra will frequently, you know, call on anecdotes from her own early modelling career about how she would live in model apartments in Paris and people would, you know, steal her things and bully her and she would be, you know, racially profiled or racially abused and having to be, you know, the other black girl when Naomi Campbell was um, at her peak of her career. God, we haven't even but talked her- about
2: Tyra versus Naomi. That could that could be know, a whole episode has. to itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um, the... But her ethos for these other girls who she's sort of indoctrinating or, you know, for, for not actually, but indoctrinating them into this industry, seemingly, is that it was hard for me it'll be hard for you. There doesn't seem to be any intention to like make the industry easier, you know? Mm. And maybe that's just realistic. Maybe it's one of those things where it's like, look, that bell has been rung and it can't be unrung. You can either sort of get with the program or, or get out. It seems to be the kind of the baseline message of like... Of the show Like the girls Frequently get very ill Because of exhaustion Or dehydration And there's almost all, Every season There's a girl who's like Rushed to hospital For something or other And every time It's like I don't want to hear excuses You show up on set You be on time You know
2: Because Danielle Managed to do a photo Danielle? shoot On the back of an elephant When she was dying Of dengue fever Or something You know Kind of <laughs> Danielle really hurt The other girls Because she did get On that elephant When she was dying You know <laughs> Well oh, Danielle, you're not you're not helping the the future girls. Yeah, and it's a shame because you could see them paying lip service to that. Like Tyra saying, you know, a model shouldn't need to be a size zero. You know, like they did. Mm. I think eventually a plus size girl did win, with with I think there was a girl called Whitney who won it, who was a plus size mm-hmm. girl. Um but yeah, that Tyra's attitude wasn't we can change the industry. You're right, and, and it feels like a shame because you know, behind the scenes, those conversations were happening and, you know, just, I'm going to get a plug in now, if that's all right, Caroline, I wrote my book, Meat Market, which is about um models and about young models and about a young model who is sexually assaulted by a photographer. And it was very much based on models that I interviewed and met with and there were, and there have been efforts for years, like some models unionised. In about 2011, they formed, you know, models were allowed into equity, so the same union that protects actors and dancers. And then in America, there was a, a movement to unionise as well. A former model called Sara Zeff has set up something called the Model Alliance, which which seeks to call out abuses within the industry as well. So change was happening, and Tyra could have been a part of that. Our next Top model could have been a part of that, but while they bang on a lot about diversity and i will you know in fairness they had isis king the transgender model was featured in season 11 and i've actually i've interviewed isis king a couple of times and you know she has nothing but good to say about her experience in that she was homeless And they used her as a background extra in in one photo shoot. And then somebody on set was like, this one could be a model. You know, she's stunning. And so then they cast her in cycle 11. And I think she went out kind of early, but this was like 2008 or something when this was pre Caitlyn Jenner, pre-Chaz Bono, you know, understanding of trans lives was really, really in its infancy. So to have a trans woman on the CW network was was kind of a big deal. And then, of course, then Tyra put, featured Isis on her chat show and mm. potentially, although I don't know to what degree this is true, kind of funded Isis's gender confirmation surgery. So kind of, of course, Isis has nothing but prose for Tyra, but that was kind of because Tyra sort of singled out Isis and kind of, you know... Helped her out, I guess, but so I mean, there were efforts towards diversity mm. you know, Winnie Harlow, the girl with Vitiligo was on next top model, but it kind of it just it just and many many contestants have said this per show which is it's all about tyra if if you were given a plot line, it was to make Tyra look good somehow and you know if you thought for a second that it was your series, you were mistaken it was it was about tyra.
1: You, you, yeah, Even the girls who have the best things to say about the show will all say that, won't they? Mm-hmm. That it is, it is sort of the machine that that just fuels Tyra's brand, really. Um, but I want to get back to ISIS because I watched the clips of ISIS mm. uh, competing this morning, and it is it's interesting because like she is being sort of used for a plot oh my gosh
2: yes yeah
1: yeah like and the story is genuinely really exciting even Mm. still when you're like she was a background extra and she was homeless and they saw her and they singled her out like everything you just said Um, but then like you have all these and and, and, like what I said um, earlier in the episode which is people who are, you know, age 18 to 20, 23, who've left home for the first time and who are just the pure distillation of where they've come from, them just trying, they just really hang on everyone trying to figure out ISIS mm. for so long. And and like, there's kind of varying states of compassion and understanding from like people just blanketly accepting it and moving on to people sort of obsessing it. And, you know, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't, shouldn't be in this in competition and all this kind of stuff. Like this came out in 2008, Were you you out by then
2: as a trans woman? No. So ISIS was one of those people who was kind of quite crucial to my own understanding of myself. I mean, I've said this lots of times. I think trans visibility in the media can only go so far. And that's why when you read headlines about, you know, kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, young people are seeing trans people on the internet and decide they're trans. I'm not sure that's true because when you see somebody you know being famous or being on television that feels like a really far removed experience from my experience as a young primary school teacher in Brighton which is what I would have been at the time when I was watching those episodes you know Isis you know she was young and she was beautiful and that was that was exciting to me you know when when I was starting when I was making the realizations about myself and about my history it was encouraging for me to see young trans people thriving in whatever industry it was but i don't think seeing trans people on tv is a substitute for meeting real trans people in your life and that was when i finally started to join the dots and when i when i was meeting with real trans people in london and brighton Um, but certainly you know, I, root, I, I rooted for ISIS. We were all rooting for ISIS. But I think that's really telling, the fact that the girls who were horrible to ISIS were portrayed as villainous, and the yeah, girls who yeah. supported ISIS were heroic. And ISIS's biggest cheerleader was a girl called McKee, who was the MMA fighter, and she won that series. So, you know, the the, the eventual victor of that series was one of the girls who was kind to ISIS. And And so I think... That's really interesting now that there isn't really a debate. You know, no one on Top Model in 2008 is questioning whether or not Isis is a girl. You know, she is. And if you don't think she's a girl, then you are unkind. And strangely, now, if we were to do that plotline, there probably would be some hackneyed sort of debate about, you know, oh my gosh, is she a real woman? And what's a real woman? And does she deserve to be in a modelling show? So, you know, it'd probably be slightly weighty there was actually there was a second trans girl who was cast much much later in one of the boys and girls seasons and actually she dropped out during casting i've forgotten her name but there was she just she was doing really really well and then just about halfway through casting there was some they wanted her to basically sign away her life and as an educated young woman, she was like, no, I'm not signing this. So basically, she pulled out before she signed, she signed away her life, basically. I think she, yeah, I've forgotten her name, but so there were there were Wise others. Gal. Mm, she was smart. Yeah, she was she was smart. Yeah. She got out. <laughs>
1: um I'm I'm curious because clearly, like, you've written a novel about models, you've um been involved, you've been a fan of this TV show mm. for years, you interviewed some of these people. What is it about? Models and modeling to you that's so evocative.
2: I just don't know. So, you know, my other love, <laughs> my other love, of course, as you well know, is Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. And creepy photographer Paul asks Carrie Bradshaw that question in the episode where she takes part in a runway show. And, and he says, what is it about the models? And she's like, I don't know. I just love them. And, you know, some weeks she buys Vogue instead of food, which is more <laughs> challenging but um, I can't tell you because this is still a thing that so everything I know now, having, you know, I've meat market more than any other novel. I had to do lots and lots of research. And I spent time with some really damaged people. You know, I would say that the the phrases, they they were so sort of embittered. And embattled, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. they, they had all developed very thick skin from their time in the fashion industry. And all of them want to quit. None of them enjoy it. All of them are sort of thinking about what they're going to do once they're not modeling anymore. And um, none of them really wanted to be models in the first place. It was just that they were offered it because they were tall and thin. And yet I still have a subscription to Vogue and I flick through every month and I'm like, oh, I recognise her and I think I follow that one on Instagram. And oh my gosh, she's doing really well. Oh my gosh, I know. And I'm just like, what, why? And I just couldn't, because it makes no sense with everything I know. Yeah. I should just frankly be trying to free these girls from their torment. But I don't know. I I still, and I tell myself as well that I wish the fashion industry weren't a guilty pleasure. You know, I wish Mm. that I could enjoy shopping and clothes without worrying about sustainability and garment workers in Bangladesh and unsafe work environments. You know, I know that it's capitalism and capitalism is fundamentally disgusting and that these models are part of a capitalist machine which is trying to convince me to buy things and yet i remain grimly fascinated
1: i want to talk about your favorite all-time top model photo
2: shoots (gasps) okay the one that stays in my head and i would have this i would hang this over my fireplace is the extraordinarily striking model alison harvard um, who is the one you want? She had crazy big doll eyes Yeah And mm-hmm. she liked nosebleeds um,
1: Yes She was a real Alice in Wonderland yeah. Character She did win didn't she
2: No She failed to win oh. twice Because she came back For the all star <laughs> season as well Sorry right. Alison um, The photograph of her And I think People would probably know Straight away The one of her as a baby bird In the giant nest Uh, Yes,
1: yes. Those nest photographs were gorgeous. And so she had like
2: all feathers in her hair. And actually, Tyra was the photographer, no less. Um, Or allegedly Tyra was taking those pictures. But I think that was it when they'd taken them to South America. I think they were in Brazil. And um, yeah, they went out into like the rainforest and like Alison crouched like a lovely little, very Angela Carter kind of human bird hybrid in this giant nest. So that's the one... That legitimately, I really love it as a piece of photography. There are ones which are memorable because they were so ridiculous. So, like the bald shoot once, where they put a bald cap on everyone.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, I
1: remember that. Anything yeah, yeah.
2: where they made them look like star signs. They, that I remember that star sign one was naff as hell. Really naff. Um. Suspending them on wires Or in water, that was always good Anything where they had to go underwater was fun Um, I mean later on They got again worse and worse and more and more Gimmicky, the worst one And again this was in the latter, the dark years Was Mm -hmm. the week where they made them Advertise a kind of hot dog
0: And they had to like
2: Shove these disgusting hot It was on the All Stars season And they had to create a signature hot dog That fit the personality that tyra had decided for them so like like brie you're the girl next door kind of like so you now need to make a hot dog that symbolizes you're a girl next door and then oh shove it God. in your face and they all had like mustard and shit dribbling down there oh. no just no so that was the worst oh,
1: Awful. Lot. do you all do awful. you have a
2: favorite caroline
1: Oh, the one I remember that was re- another. Actually, the Tyra photogra- photo shoots were always really good, and mm. I, I really, I really want to believe that Tyra Banks is secretly a great mm. photographer. But can we really trust that? I don't know. But the, the one where um, it's a really simple one. They just give them contacts and Vaseline, <sighs> and they just yes. sort of like it's like a black and white shoot mm-hmm. when they scrape back the hair. I think it was Carrie D's season. Yes. Um. Carrie Dean and Melrose, the mm. great Jacqueline Hyde sort of rivalry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just like I watched that. That was that. Just, was, that series is on Amazon. If you're willing to pay for it, that series is on Amazon. So I watched oh, that one I, Not so long ago. I actually loved that series.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's another one that sticks in my head a lot because it's so associated with such a mental moment. Remember that crazy moment where the blonde girl Rebecca. Passes out <gasps> mid-judging. Yes! Of course. She just falls yeah. backwards yeah. and then mm-hmm. famously her new weave broke her fall, so she didn't get any head damage. <laughs> Thank God. Which is Thank the God. only time it only like that can only happen on top model. Um, but there's a beautiful photo shoot where it's just like the girls holding dogs mm-hmm. and also holding flowers, and it's like very Italian, it's like very fluoro mm-hmm. the colours are amazing. I do think in general the photographs are incredible. And also, like, we we can't go any further without talking about noted fashion photographer, (gasps) Nigel Barker. Not award-winning,
2: but noted. noted. (laughs) Now, Nigel Barker. Yeah. A, very, very sexy. But, again, Nigel, I'm so sorry if you're listening to this because you seem like a really lovely man. However, there is something... captivating about his relationship with his wife and her twin sister like his wife is an identical twin and his instagram is a good percentage of nigel barker's instagram is naked photography of him his wife and the twin sister maybe they're a thruple my my friend samantha believes they're a I'm not sure. It's worth noting. It's notable. It is notable. (laughs) That's what makes him notable. He's married to twins. Yes, and lots of... Yeah, just... That can be your activity for this afternoon, listeners. Enjoy (laughs) Nigel Barker's Instagram. Mm.
1: That is captivating. Wow. It has to be said as well, for like... You have to give top model props that the entire judging team, like, are incredibly diverse, right? There's really not very many shows where, like, if you think of Tyra, Miss J, Mr. J, the three people of colour who are all the controlling stakeholders in that entire show. Ken Mock, who's executive producer, Mm -hmm. also a person of colour. It's like... It's pretty it's pretty incredible, actually. I mean I still have that much control over that property.
2: I still want to know what went down between Tyra and J Manuel, because there is no love lost. Like, Jay Manuel is the source of a lot of the tea.
1: Yes. Mm. J Manuel loves to spill the tea I spent this morning while I was walking my dog. Listening to his novel on audio.
2: His thinly veiled takedown of Tyra Banks, you mean?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. yes, his thinly veiled takedown of Tyra Banks. And it's fascinating. And uh, unfortunately, the writing is not great. Like, he could have really benefited from working with a, a ghostwriter and an editor. Um, but one of the interesting things he says at the very start of the book. So, I'm sorry. Once again, Jay Manuel, if you're listening, you seem like a really great and compassionate guy who's just, you know, trying to make the most out of his history. Um, the ep- the epigraph... Is that the word for the epigraph? The thing at the beginning of the book? Prelogue. Um, no, but the little quote oh, okay, that yeah. goes at the beginning of a book where we, you often do a song lyric mm-hmm. or, a, or a, a piece of poetry is a quote from himself, um, which is interesting, a choice. But the quote is, reality TV is a world of smoke and mirrors. And when the smoke clears, only the mirror remains.
2: Which I thought was actually quite profound. I'm going to have, that's a thinker. I'm going (laughs) to. That's a thinker. So, so. Yeah. So is he trying to say that when all you're left with is the reflection of yourself? So you've got to live with what has happened when the smoke has cleared, maybe? I think that's what he's... First yeah. of all, you
1: have to live with the reflection of yourself. Mm-hmm. And also, us as viewers are culpable as well because we're, you know, we're supporting this franchise. The, bla- the Black Mirror. Kids.
2: Charlie Brooker's the, the, the Black Mirror. We are we are responsible. Mm-hmm.
1: J. Manuel's Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the things he says, and he speaks specifically about that famous Got Milk photo shoot where they... um. Assign all these girls random races, and then mm. give them give them a child of that ethnicity to hold while they perform in blackface. Sure, not 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 like first of all, not just you know doing this horrible representation, but exposing children to it too. Um, there's something he says. He was like, by that time, Antm had become such a runaway hit that everybody wanted to have their hand in the creative, which often happens in those experiences where like everybody wants to be responsible for something that happened on screen, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's how they negotiate salaries at the end of the year. Well, I did that, well, I did that. So everybody wants to do things. And they had conceived this shoot, he had helped conceive as the creative director, the shoot of just the girls with the milk mustaches holding the kids. He thought that was challenging enough. And then basically night before they were like, we're gonna racially flip them. <laughs> And and to hear Jay Manuel talking about it now, he's like, you know, you know, my parents were from South Africa. They lived during apartheid. I felt extremely strongly that this is highly inappropriate and offensive. But the horse, like the horse, had bolted, and there was nothing for me to do. And like it's like if you watch that episode, I'm hardly in it at all because I was so, so confounded and disappointed and disillusioned. I'm just edited around, you know, and it. He really talks about there being this kind of culture of fear at America's Next Top Model that was unlike any other media he experienced before or since.
2: I imagine I've heard similar things about working on X Factor. That it was, it was, trying. It was a challenging work environment yeah. from all angles, because when you're dealing with egos, as soon as you start dealing with egos, sets become challenging. I wonder if when when you look at a reality TV show, the only pure series that you're seeing really is like the first series. And I think the true yeah. the true could be said of RuPaul's Drag Race as well, where actually they try to hide the first series because it looks so terrible. It looks like it was shot in a garage and the lighting is terrible and it's it sometimes now feels like, you know, series one of RuPaul's Drag Race was kind of like a trial run and then you start properly at series two. Mm. And I think that's somewhat true of Top Model as well, which is Series 1 was a trial run. Like, could this work? Like, Tyra Banks trying to find a girl to be a model. And then Series 2 took what was successful and makes it bigger. But then by Series 3 and 4, you're you you're looking at a smash hit TV show where yeah. you can see the strings being pulled. Like, we know what this works. Like, we're going to need some more fights. So, you know, you know, Girl A, you know, you should know that girl B has been talking behind your back and kind of just sort of pushing and pulling. And now, to this day, you know, now when I watch Love Island, not only, not only do the contestants know the formula, but you can see the formula playing out and you're kind of just mm. like... The only surprising thing now on a show like Love Island is when actually one of them doesn't seem to know the roles. So when you look at this girl, mm. Faye, who has been on this year's Love Island and... She's been so deranged. It's the only word for it, really. You start thinking, gosh, she doesn't realise she's on television. Like, unlike all the yes, others. That's she's, really refreshing yeah, to watch, isn't she's it? She's forgotten she's on TV, whereas the rest of them are so kind of like you know, I know how to play this game, I know how to win it, and more importantly, I know how to secure a Giacomo deal at the end of it, kind of, you know, so it's kind of like... Jackama. Yeah, just like, just watch a pretty little thing, is always watching, you know, Misguided is watching. And and Faye, blissfully, for, for the fault, because she's quite, she's come across quite badly at times, at least she's not playing the reality TV game, kind of so oh, yeah. maybe i should somehow try find series one of america's next top model because that's the one that's really hard to find like yeah, it's barely yeah. on youtube it's really hard to track down
1: i've loved this
2: <laughs> got all that i can talk about tech- i mean this is so sad isn't it so sad that what i know, what could i have achieved if my brain was not full of next top model i think i would have found the covid cure first like got there first. we would have, we would have beaten Oxford-AstraZeneca if my brain wasn't filled with Celia intervening on behalf. Or if I, if... <laughs>
1: ridiculous. Okay, can we just finish off with like our favorite random bizarre moments? Here's one for me. I always love the go sees challenge where they the girls have to go see. brands and fashion houses and but it's always like really regimented they have to be back at the house at a certain time to sort of present their findings Mm -hmm. of all these um and they're always in like a strange city where they have to navigate like loads of different neighborhoods and they have a cab driver who hates them it's great and this girl comes back and if you're even one minute late for that deadline you are locked outside during judging you are disqualified from that challenge this girl, Brittany, comes back. She's locked out. She's swearing the house down. She's screaming about how her taxi... She told a taxi driver to wait, and he didn't wait, and all this, and blah, 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 And there's this Russian girl who's one of my favorite contestants of all time, Natasha. And she's just there. And she's been kicked out as well. She hasn't made it back either. And she just goes, you'll need to calm down. People have wars in their countries. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I mean, she's where's the lie? Where is the lie? They she's got wars in their countries. <laughs> <laughs> With Britney screaming "fuck lads" at the top of her lungs, while while all the modeling agency people can hear her through the door. That's it's the rest of them <gasps> stood inside looking really awkward oh, about. <laughs> mm. Gorgeous, um, so good. My okay, my cra- favorite crazy moment is, I believe season i want to it might be that it's the same season it's season eight the Mm -hmm. same cycle where the girls have had to take on a hot topic for the photo shoot so like pro-life or pro-choice like pacifism or war like pro-guns or (laughs) anti-guns war and there has been there is one that's pro fur and one that's anti fur and a girl called kathleen has got to be anti fur and she's completely missed the mark and at judging she's like nigel's like you know do you have an opinion about fur and she's like i would not wear fur but you know if like an animal was to die in a car accident it's okay to (laughs) wear that fur right and Twiggy, Twiggy, bless her. It's like, actually, it doesn't work like that. Um, and I'm like, yeah, does Kathleen... As the kids would say now, she did not get the assignment.
1: Oh, she did not get the... Poor Twiggy. Twiggy was... I've never seen a person less made for reality TV than Twiggy. Because she just Twiggy really just likes Everyone them all. have a nice She time. just
2: really likes them all. And she's really nice. <laughs> and then they switched her out for Paulina Porras-Curva, who was so harsh, I kind of loved Paulina, but she was brutal.
1: God, love them all. It's also this. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of finish on this. So I can't keep keep you for too much longer. Um, I do sort of think that it did, that show it was the first thing that made me evaluate photographs. Mm. You know what I mean? Like the thing of at the end of every episode where they would show you a photo, and you you as the viewer would be like, "Well, <gasps> that seems nice." Yeah. And they'd go, look at your arm there. Your arm is just hanging there. Your eyes are dead. There's something, and it was really weird because back then, you know, in the early naughties, most of us didn't have that many pictures of ourselves. And now, so many of us have so many photographs of ourselves. You, in particular, there's you know, some absolutely stunning pictures of you out there, and you've you've modelled and you've um, been in shows and stuff, and like. Do you find yourself looking at those photos with that same judging panel eye?
2: Yes. And I cannot pretend that America's Next Top Model did not teach me those things. And actually, it did weirdly set me in really good stead because she was right. Kyra was right. You know, we we all make fun of the smiles, but she's right. Because you've got to be very... If you look dead in the eyes, you're in real trouble. And I've got to be quite careful with my eyes because I can very, especially if I've got a face full of makeup on, I can look really kind of dear in the headlights and I can look a bit starry, scary. And so I've got to be really mindful to actually do that kind of daydreamy, kind of make your eyes go dreamy and kind of let, let your vision go slightly sort of gauzy. Um, and that's, what you know, so, you know, I think people wrongly think that a smize means like a glare. No, 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 it just means soft, you know, seduce the camera. And I think that's what she's getting at, which is, you know, imagine... You want to have sex with Nigel Barker, which should not be a stretch if you're a heterosexual woman, and just kind of just give him the eye. Mm. But yeah, I think the really sensible things, like if you squish your arms to your side, your arm will look twice as big. You know, if you press your arm against something, it's going to go big. So, you know, everything I learned, I learned from Tyra Banks. So I can't falter on that.
1: And I think we can leave it at that for today. Everything we learned, we learned from Tyra Banks. Oh, Tyra. Uh, Do do you know, you have lots of things to promote, including, I mean, I've done some promotion for you on this podcast, God knows. So I got to thinking.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yes, so I got to thinking. It's still, it's doing freakishly well. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that, by the way. And we had, it was because obviously that was, you did your specials. In our hiatus between season three and series four, and we've just started airing series four now, and every week has been our biggest ever listenership. So, oh,
1: I'm so delighted! That's fantastic.
2: And I think, it's, I mean, yeah, mixed, mixed with excitement, like renewed energy around Sex and the City because of the reboot as yeah. well. Um, I mean, to be fair, a lot of people say that a podcast normally finds its audience around series three, and and yes, I believe I can see that now. I see it happening.
1: Oh, it's a great podcast and uh-huh. I really enjoyed being on at that time. Yeah. Um. And you've got, obviously you've got um books on the way as well. What's the most recent one?
2: So we've had this, so I've actually had a bit of a break. I've not had a novel for a year or two. So Wonderland was my last novel. And then I am excited because this Christmas I'm releasing my first Christmas novel. It's called oh, Stay, wow. An- Stay Another Day after the lovely East 17 song. And then I wanted to do some, so my last three novels have been quite hard hitting, um, Mm. dealing with sexual assault and drug use and the like. So I wanted to do something that was just really heartwarming and Christmassy. And I wrote it last Christmas when we were all in lockdown because I didn't get to see my family last Christmas. So I sort of wrote a novel about a family which gets together at Christmas I don't mention COVID, but they've been apart for two years. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's about what happens when this very dysfunctional family get together at a big house in Edinburgh. Oh, that
1: sounds nice. That sounds very family
2: stone. It is a bit family stone. It's like a YA family stone with a bit of kind of like Shit's Creek, I guess, because that was the mood. Oh. That was what got me through lockdown. I just watched Shit's Creek on a constant loop. So I wanted something that made me feel the way that Shit's Creek makes me feel.
1: Oh, that's great! What a great way to enter a novel. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's about it's. About each one should have a different mood, I think. Yeah, I think so too.
1: All right, Juno, thank you so much for joining us thank
0: today. Thank you for talk having to you about me. ANTM. Yeah,
2: anytime. Absolutely, we can just talk privately about NTM. I'm quite quite <laughs> down for that.
1: This has been sentimental garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donohue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me about the podcast at sentimentalpod at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Gentlemen Women podcast. Thank you to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the artwork, and Hannah Varrow for the mixing.